Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Elisa Pearl, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are my co-hosts, Sue. Hello. And we have a very special guest, Dr. Morgan L. Cable. Hi, Morgan. Hello. Dr. Morgan. Happy to be here. <laughs> Just call me Morgan. Okay. All right. I want to respect the PhD, you know. Oh, dude. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, Morgan, can you please tell us a little bit about your expertise? Sure. Uh, I am a chemist, but I started studying astrobiology uh, after I did an internship at NASA. And so my PhD, I spent most of that studying ways to look for life in our cosmic backyard, our own solar system, and beyond. And now I'm a research scientist at the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, California, and working on all sorts of current missions, like the Europa Clipper mission that's going to go visit a moon of Jupiter that has more liquid water than all of Earth's oceans combined. And I'm also working on future missions to explore other places, too. Oh, my goodness. I'm geeking out <laughs> how awesome that all is. <laughs> and shout out to Dr. Aaron McDonald for the introduction. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Aaron McDonald, for bringing Morgan to us. And oh, my goodness. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, and Morgan, uh, do you have a favorite Star Trek series? Oh, my goodness. I love them all for different reasons. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I grew up on Star Trek The Next Generation and... Um, but Voyager also, just like Captain Janeway is such a role model. She's so incredible. Um, but I think every series holds a, a special place in my heart because they're all just so unique and so different. Awesome. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way. Um, great. Okay, so before we begin, of course, we have to do some housekeeping. So our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media to silly watch along commentaries to customized loot boxes. Visit www.patreon.com slash women at warp for more info. You can also visit our Tee Public store with Women at Warp merch along with other non-podcast specific Trek designs. That's at tpublic.com slash stores slash Women at Warp. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. More about them later. And now we will get into our main topic. This is a part two to something we did a year ago, which was viruses and pandemics in Trek. But this one we're calling vaccines in Trek because... Similar to where we were last year in the pandemic, we were dealing with COVID. We didn't have a vaccine out and publicly available yet. Um, and so we decided to focus on the viruses and pandemics that we see in Star Trek episodes and movies. But a year later, we have a vaccine, multiple vaccines that are publicly available. And so we're going to just talk about vaccines in Star Trek today. So we are all aware of how much actual science serves as the foundation for Star Trek's technology. Even the technobabble often has roots in actual scientific terms and theories. So it's not surprising that through the various Star Trek series and movies, there are plenty of examples of vaccines and inoculation that pop up in storylines. But before we dive in, I personally want to talk about the phenomenon of anti-vaxxers. Because as far as I've seen in Star Trek, there are, there are examples of 
you know, very mild vaccine hesitancy, but no one in Star Trek ever really outright refuses to believe in the science or the benefit of vaccination. So what do you all imagine? Like if there were an anti-vax themed episode of Star Trek, what would that be like in your mind? Oh, goodness. I mean, I think one of the great aspects of Star Trek and the universe is how diverse all of the different aliens are, their their different cultures, their backgrounds, their histories. And so I feel like Star Trek could weave in a story of how uh, maybe some people who were misinformed or who interpreted information uh, in a way that wasn't healthy for them were able to kind of grow and be able to go through that journey and come out the other end safe and healthy and hopefully vaccinated. Nice. Yeah. Sue, what about you? Do you have any thoughts about that or ideas? You know, because it's Star Trek, I don't think they would ever tackle it head on and make a story mm. directly about anti-vaxxers. So it would have to be mm. some sort of allegory. And as yep, soon as I yep. started down that road, I thought of that Deep Space Nine episode that I'm not going to be able to name. Uh, but they they crash, I guess, on this planet with these people and there there's something about the planet that prevents the use of technology. Mm. And it turns mm -hmm. out that their leader, Alexis, is actually the one like creating a dampening field that prevents the use of technology because that was her vision. Mm -hmm. And she created this entire community forcibly without their knowledge. Um so it's I feel like in a little bit they might have tackled it in an allegorical way right there mm. because there's a lack of knowledge and a lack of information and ignorance in the truest sense of the word. Yeah. And, and making a decision that affects the public good, right? Like unilaterally just making this decision that ends up having ripple effects in your community. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it would be allegorical for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm interested. I wonder, since we have so many Star Trek series going on right now, I wonder if we'll get um, some more stories like in the next year or two as new new episodes are written during this pandemic. Like, how will the pandemic affect Star Trek? I'm interested in seeing that down the line. I Googled it real quick. So for everyone yelling at the podcast, the episode is called Paradise. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, the irony. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> right. Um, so, well, when I was putting together, uh, the episode list for this, this episode, episode list for this episode, <laughs> sorry. Um, I wanted to just give a shout out to someone named Mr. Eck Ted on the star underscore Trek Reddit for compiling a list of Trek episodes that feature vaccines. We're going to use that list, uh, as a starting point, but I also wanted to just point out that there are a few episodes on this list that deal with the transport of vaccines or the transport of supplies or materials for vaccine development. So we're not going to go into those episodes in detail, but I just wanted to kind of list them off real quick if our re our listeners wanted to do their own separate watch or rewatch. So uh, in the original series, there's season two, episode one, Obsession. So that's where the crew of the Enterprise race against time to conclude an investigation in order to be in time for a scheduled rendezvous with the Yorktown to pick up perishable vaccinations scheduled for transport to a population that's waiting on Theta-7. 
in The Next Generation, season one, episode four, Code of Honor. Um, we all, that episode is, is so famous for other things. <laughs> um, and the vaccine storyline is way, way buried underneath some other bigger stuff. So we're definitely not going to dive into that for the purpose of vaccines. But we have talked about Code of Honor in other episodes of Women at Warp. Uh, I think most recently in our, uh, what was it? Was it? I forget what we called the, but the, our last like Black History Month episode with me, Kennedy, Angelique Rocher, and Karama. I think um, it was. So check that out. Just yeah. blackness and track, I think was the oh, okay, title. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't remember exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that makes sense. Blackness and track. So check out that episode if you want to hear a deep dive on Code of Honor. And then the next episode uh, that just deals, touches lightly on vaccines is Next Generation season two, episode one, The Child. Once again, this is another like very famous TNG episode that has other bigger themes that we've tackled in other Women at Warp recordings. Um, but it's, uh, it just lightly touches on vaccines because Geordi builds containment modules in the Enterprise cargo bay to contain samples of a plasma plague for transport in order to develop a vaccine. So that's just like a very baseline subplot. And so with that out of the way, we can now dive into our key episodes. So I like to start within Star Trek chronology. So I'm starting with Enterprise. Season two, episode four, Dead Stop. So a little recap of this is that the crew of the Enterprise make their way to an automated repair station, which offers to make extensive repairs to their ship in a fraction of the time it would take to do it themselves and for a reasonable price. And so just to clarify, when I say automated station, there's no living beings that are visibly running the station. It seems to be run like a machine that runs itself. And it has like a, it seems like it has a computer that's, um, running it as well, like some type of AI possibly. Of course, this fully automated station turns out to be too good to be true because it has figured out a way to kidnap crew members of visiting ships to use them for its computer's processing power without the kidnapped person's crew getting suspicious until now. Ensign Travis Mayweather is found dead in an area of the ship that's undergoing repairs, but Dr. Flox figures out that the body they found is a near-perfect replica of the Ensign. So what tips off Dr. Flox is that, that this isn't really Travis, is that he and the whole crew were recently vaccinated. Dr. Flox says that the microbes of the inoculation should still be alive and thriving in Travis's dead body, but they're not because this computer knows how to replicate uh, un, non-living matter, but doesn't know how to obviously like replicate something that's alive. So that was the big clue that unlocks this story. Morgan. So knowing that Star Trek takes major leaps with actual scientific concepts, I have two questions based on this. And Sue, please chime in with any other questions. Uh, my first question is, what vaccines introduce active microbes? And I guess, yeah, we could just start with that question. Okay, cool. And just for the record, I am, while I am a scientist, I am not a microbiologist and I do not study uh, COVID. Uh, so all of the information that I'm sharing today is just things that you can find yourself on the internet, freely available public information. It does not take a rocket scientist to learn about COVID. So I just wanted to throw that mm -hmm. out there. 
Awesome. Um, Thank you. Yeah, of course. So in terms of active microbes, there are actually many different types of vaccines. There are some called inactivated vaccines. Those are the ones that put dead bugs inside you. So like the flu vaccine or polio or hepatitis A, uh, that's where you take the microorganism, but you kill it. And then you put that inside your body and your body still identifies those dead organisms and, and mounts an immune response. But it's no threat to you because they're completely dead. There are other types of vaccines called either like recombinant or conjugate vaccines, and those will put bits of dead bugs inside you. Um, for example, things like the HPV vaccine, which I encourage all women, if you're able to, to get uh, hepatitis B, shingles, those kinds of vaccines. Again, this is not something where the living bits are in you. It's it's pieces of dead organisms, so you, you don't have to stress out. Uh, and then there are things like the messenger RNA vaccine. The COVID vaccine is one of these. Uh, these, again, are not live things. Instead, uh, mRNA vaccines uh, provide your own cells with instructions on how to make proteins that trigger an immune response. So still, you're, you're not being injected with any sort of part of the COVID virus. But there are some vaccines that, that do this. They're called live attenuated vaccines. Attenuated just means uh, that they've weakened the microorganism, whether it's like measles, mumps, rubella, or even chickenpox or smallpox, those are these types of vaccines. And so they do actually put in into your body a weakened form of that virus or that organism, but it's still alive. Um, but it's been weakened so that your body can handle it. And so those types of things uh, could be very similar to what uh, Dr. Flux was talking about uh, for being vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And in theory, if you were unfortunately dispatched by an evil computer, uh, presumably <laughs> those organisms may still live for a little bit uh, in your system. Right. And that, yeah, that is my follow-up question. Oh. Um, yeah. So like after a person dies, it does make sense to me that microbes living on or in the body would keep living for a while. So, so yeah, it sounds like this, this part of this Star Trek story is actually based in very real science. Yeah. And I should note that it wouldn't just be any live attenuated vaccines that would be still alive in your, your decaying body, but there are microorganisms in your gut that help you digest your food. Uh, they're called your gut microbiome. You may have heard of these. Mm -hmm. Their cells actually equal or potentially outnumber your own body cells. Uh, so mm -hmm. you are not just as a human being, one organism. You are actually a microcosm of a whole bunch of different uh, organisms in there with you. And presumably those would continue to exist after you expired. And in fact, I think some um, people who are doing crime scene investigations and trying to study, uh, you know, uh, types of, of death can use that microbiome to identify sort of potentially where bad things happened or how you died, um, depending on what's there and sort of how mature it is. So oh, fun wow. fact, hmm, slightly morbid, cool. but still fun. <laughs> Do you happen to know how recent the development of these vaccines that have living organisms in them are? Well, some of them have been developed a while ago. I mean, all of you, I'm sure, have the measles, mumps, rubella, the MMR mm -hmm. vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some more recent, right? I think uh, when I was a kid, we didn't have the chickenpox vaccine. That wasn't a thing. Um, but they have that now. And so... It's been going on for a while. I can't put an exact date on it. Uh, maybe some quick Googling uh, could help us find that. But there are some other types of uh, vaccines that do also introduce live organisms that are relatively new. And in fact, I think they're only 
happening in studies now called viral vector vaccines. And these will take like the common cold virus, which is called adenovirus, and they'll put some bits inside of it, sort of um, the protection that they want to give you for a different virus inside of this. Mm-hmm. And then they introduce that to you. So it's a way of getting things inside of you using a live uh, virus. So technically not a cell, right? Viruses are still, we're, we're still debating that in the, the right. astrobiology community, whether or not viruses mm-hmm. are alive. Um, but yeah, so that's another way you can use something that's living, but not quite as hazardous to introduce a vaccine into someone's body. I asked wow. because I remember back in um, AP Bio, which is, oh my gosh, over 20 years ago now, um, <laughs> that <laughs> I remember being taught um, just about the first two types of vaccines you mentioned, whether you put in the, the dead virus or pieces of the dead virus. So I, I actually didn't realize that the, the mRNA vaccine had live bits in it, um, which I think is really interesting. But I have also in, you know, reading up on everything in the past year, year and a half, have read that the, the COVID vaccine, for example, the, the mRNA is out of your system within 48 hours. Yes. It's basically just the instruction. So it's not mm-hmm. even a part of COVID at all. It's separate instructions that we tell ourselves, this is what that, um, oh, what's that, the protein called that's on the outside of COVID? Uh, uh, I know the spike protein. Yes, that's the one. Oh. Thank you. I had a slight brain fart. Thank you for that. The spike <laughs> protein. It's basically instructions telling your body, this is what the spike protein looks like, but it doesn't actually have any spike proteins in it or any other parts of the COVID virus itself. It's just the instructions to warn us how to make it how to make our um, our immune response to, to battle the spike proteins. Having read that about this vaccine that is, you know, so in the news that everybody's talking about, and then re-watching this episode of Enterprise, it really stuck out to me that uh, one of the things Flox says is that we were all inoculated against this several weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And that's what mm. really tipped me off. And I and it's interesting that you you bring up like the gut microbiome. And I'm thinking maybe that would have been more accurate in this case to say, well, there's there's nothing alive in his gut. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, so I guess we, Sue, you kind of found a little edit that we could do <laughs> on this episode. <laughs> Uh, now that we know more about vaccines. <laughs> um, okay, so, well, the next thing on my list is the Star Trek movie from 2009 with Chris Pine et al. So this is just, you know, like a little 15 to 20 minute sequence of scenes in the movie. But about 37-ish minutes in, McCoy gives Kirk a vaccine against viral infection from Melvarin mud fleas to give him the symptoms of infection so that McCoy can take Kirk with him on a mission. Because Kirk has been grounded for some reason or other. I don't know, just being Kirk, you know. (laughs) Some of the funnier symptoms of this infection, of this uh, vaccine, I should say, are that Kirk's hands blow up, like they get really swollen like balloons almost. And he gets numb tongue, which is very funny because he's trying to talk and his tongue is numb. It's a very funny little thing. So obviously the symptoms of this vaccine for Melvarin mud fleas are very extreme and played for laughs. But let's talk about vaccine symptoms a little bit. 
Uh, Morgan, do you know whether there has been any real life vaccine that has had really extreme symptoms like this and maybe they had to like pull back on the vaccine and tinker with it or anything? Yeah, so I did a little bit of searching online about this because I thought it was a fascinating idea. Uh, there are some symptoms that I found uh, that can be a little bit odd. For example, uh, there a few people have reported for COVID-19 that you can have aching eyes or something like that, like mm -hmm. sore eyes, which I thought was weird. Mm -hmm. um, but most vaccines are typically the symptoms are much less severe than the illness itself because you're e either given the dead cells of that, that virus or that um, thing that's infecting you, bits of them or instructions on how to kill them, right? The point is that the symptoms should be less as your body's getting trained to fight the real mm -hmm. thing. And so mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what the Movara mud fleas like oh actually God. do to you <laughs> if the mum pum and the swollen heads was, was like just the minor result of that. Um, right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Maybe your hands just explode. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's all of you. You just become a balloon. <laughs> Who knows? But aren't, yeah. am, am I wrong or aren't vaccines specifically for viruses? Hmm. I mean, I thought so too, but this is, it seems, it says like literally in the movie, they say it's a vaccine against viral infection from Melvarin mud fleas. Okay. So I think it's, okay. yeah, it's a virus that they carry. It's not like and when they, flea and yeah. tick treatment for it. Right, right, House right. pets. <laughs> uh, right, okay. exactly. It's been a while since I've watched 2009. Apologies. For sure, <laughs> for sure. Um, I, I'm seeing that some attenuated vaccines specifically are uh, bacterial in nature. So I guess it, it's most, most are viral, but some are bacterial. And I, but I think... Other types of vaccines are always vir for viruses. Yeah. Uh, there, there was one other category I didn't talk about before called toxoid vaccines. And those can use mm. a toxin that's made by whatever is infecting you to trigger a response. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I haven't Google checked this, so, you know, the, all people on Reddit and whatnot don't yell at me. But I think if, <laughs> if there is some sort of bacterial infection that leads to the generation of a toxin in your body, maybe this would work against that. It's possible. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm seeing that toxoid back, uh, based vaccines include tetanus and diphtheria. So yeah, interesting. We're learning so much about vaccines today. Ah, okay. There's the answer. See, look at this. With our powers They're combined. They're both bacterial. Ah. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Great question, Sue. <laughs> yeah. I think the most important, like the, the most fun part I have as a scientist is when someone asks me a question that I don't know, because then mm -hmm. I have to go find the answer. I usually learn a lot. A lot of times I surround myself with people that are smarter than me. So it pushes me and makes me uh, stretch and grow. And so I love questions that I can't answer. It's fantastic. Awesome. And it's like, it's, first of all, it's like such a treat to get to talk to you as a scientist about these things, because even though this isn't your area of expertise per se, your scientific knowledge and education and and ability to like uh, parse out what is good information, that is very helpful and valuable too, because that's a skill that not everyone has, as we see, because there's so much disinformation and misinformation that people are taking at face value. Yeah, so. that's a really good point, Aliza. And I think as scientists, that's part of our responsibility is being good stewards and making sure that the general public 
understands information, you know, taking it from that complicated scientific speak and making it easily interpretable is, is kind of part of the job. But I was just as scared as everyone else was when I first heard about the pandemic and, you know, when not a lot of scientific information was out there yet because the studies hadn't been done. That was a, a really scary time. And I was just like everyone mm-hmm. else, uh, hunkered down at home, you know, being as careful as I could to wash hands and use hand sanitizer all the time and masks and double masks and all of that. So it's nice that we're in a place now where scientists have had time to study this and understand it better because to me, knowledge is power. And so I'm, I'm less afraid now that I understand and I'm vaccinated um, that, yeah, that, that has helped a lot. Um, and actually, I'm going to take this moment to talk about our text expander ad. Text expander 7.0 is now available for download. The latest update brings a fresh new experience that anyone and everyone can use, making text expander easier to navigate. And it's all wrapped up in this whole new streamlined look and feel. In this version, you'll discover a new interface that's easier to use, more responsive, and offers a few functional improvements to make Text Expander a more interactive and engaging product. Text Expander 7.0 includes enhanced snippet suggestions, improved conflict management, better accessibility, and more. Check out what's new in Text Expander 7.0 by getting Text Expander today. Women at Warp listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more about TextExpander. And now we'll roll back into our main topic. And the next episode we will talk about is one of my favorite because it's weird. (laughs) (laughs) So cringy. This is (laughs) cringy and weird. Um, The original series, season two, episode eight or episode 11, depending on which streamer you're watching it on. (laughs) Season one, I think, actually. Oh, season one. Thank you. The title is called Miri, M-I-R-I. Now, content warning, uh, this episode does have some what I describe as creepy, verging on romantic vibes between Kirk and a young woman. And later, a cringy moment between Kirk and Yeoman Rand. So just a heads up, uh, just a heads up if you do watch this episode. But anyway, here's a little synopsis. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Yeoman Rand visit a planet where the adults were all wiped out from a virus after they found a way to slow down the aging process. The only people still alive on this planet are all children who, once they reach puberty, become sick with the same illness that wiped out the adults. And for a little bit more context, these children are actually like, I think maybe 300 years old or something. Wow. So they, yeah, they've like, not only have they outlived the adults, but they, it's like a weird Lord of the Fliesy type of thing where they just never, uh, Lord of the Flies, but add the fact that they just age very, very slowly. And so 45 minutes into this episode, the away team has come with a, come up with a vaccine. McCoy tests it on himself because, of course, being adults on this planet, the away team has all been infected with this virus or whatever this illness is. And McCoy tested on himself uh, because he didn't want to wait any longer for scientific confirmation from the ship. He has a very strong reaction to it at first. He I think he passes out at first. But then his the lesions that this virus causes clear up and they see that the vaccine works. So, Morgan, there 
is I, I actually am kind of like twisting this episode to kind of talk about uh, children and COVID <laughs> and infection, uh, just like talking about that a little bit. But of course, we can talk about anything else in the episode. My first question, though, uh, is that there's been some confusion as to how susceptible children are to contracting COVID and having a bad infection by it. And I, sp I remember especially early on in the pandemic, I was even hearing things like, well, kids don't even get it. So it's not a big deal. But of course, that didn't make sense to me because kids are humans. Like, why wouldn't they be able to be infected by this thing? Um, but anyway, fast forward now, we do know that kids can be infected by it, uh, but maybe to different degrees than than adults. And now also kids are finally cleared to get vaccinated. So can you tell us about any difference in infection rates or severity for children and adults? Sure. Yes. And uh, of course, kids are amazing. They're, they're, if anyone who has kids uh, knows that they're great vectors for bringing things home their first day of school, the rest of the family will be sick for a week. Um, they have tremendous immune systems, uh, but they're also different from adults, right? And so when the vaccines were first rolled out, they had been extensively tested in adults, but it wasn't clear if that dose was suitable for children. And that's why it took a little bit longer to roll out a vaccine once they figured out the appropriate dosing and to make sure that it wasn't going to have any adverse effects in children. Uh, lately, we found, I, th I think I found a study from October 2021, so um, not too long ago, that states mm -hmm. that the latest data shows children are just as likely as adults to contract COVID. The, the transmission rates are about the same, uh, but mm -hmm. kids are about half as likely to show symptoms, which is, is good news. So their immune systems, I guess, are a bit better at tamping it down than mm -hmm. uh, compared to adults. Uh, but they can still contract it. They can still pass it to others. Uh, they're just as likely to do that as adults. And in terms of symptoms, things like long COVID, right, that mental fog and, and the things that are associated mm. with that, kids can get that too. And I mean, could you imagine mm. being a middle school student or high school student and having to deal with taking tests and studying while you were suffering from something like that? I mean, that would just be really, really yeah. challenging. So, so yeah, make mm -hmm. sure if you have a child that's, uh, you know, meets a criterion to get vaccinated, try to do that as quickly as you can. Yeah, I'm really glad that personally my niece and nephew, the youngest ones, are finally both vaccinated. Wonderful. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sue, do you have any thoughts or questions about this, like this episode or just kids and vaccines? Oh, yeah, this episode, I think, brings up some some other vaccine questions, too. And I think it shows us a couple of the the fallacies we see about vaccines in both Star Trek and in, like, television and movies on a wider scale. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The first of which is how quickly McCoy has a cure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and that whether it's a vaccine or another type of unspecified cure in Star Trek, this happens all the time. You know, by, by so true. three quarters of the way through the episode, the doctor's got it covered, whoever the doctor happens to be, um, which is just not real. And the, the right. reason, if my, if my understanding is correct, please correct me if I am wrong. The, the reason we had a, a COVID vaccine so quote unquote fast is that this type of vaccine has been under research and under development 
for many, many years. Yes, that's mm-hmm. true. The messenger RNA type vaccines have been under a study and uh, lots of technology development also went into uh, leading to the point where we could now start to credibly use it uh, for protecting people. Now, some of the processes that typical vaccines go through, some of that was accelerated in the case of, of COVID-19 because of the, the overall global need and, and how, how, um, you know, terrible this, this virus has been. Um, but those processes are in place for a reason, right? They're to make sure that the vaccines are safe, that they're effective, uh, and that they don't have any complications with people who may have some other conditions. And all those things are really important uh, to explore. So I think this has certainly opened up a new era in terms of how we tackle viruses like this uh, with mRNA vaccines proving to be as effective as they are so far, and hopefully that will continue. Um, so yeah, it's kind of cool to watch this history unfold before our eyes, these um, dramatic jumps and it's it's kind of neat. We're we're living in the future. Maybe not quite on the yeah. Starship Enterprise, but but it still feels pretty good. I have read some speculation that the development of mRNA vaccines in general are like good signs for vaccines that have been eluding the scientific community, and I'm thinking like specifically HIV/AIDS. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, you may not have this answer, but because what needs to be identified are those instructions, the mRNA instructions for this vaccine, is it, is, is this technology or this type of vaccine potentially going to lead to, I guess, a quicker reaction to, to any future viruses or potentially unlock, like, not that plug and play is the best analogy I can come up with, but I don't, I don't want to dismiss it by saying that because mm. there's definitely a lot more research that goes into it than just like taking a piece of RNA and sticking it in a vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, and this is something that is just fascinating to me. There, there are three major tools I think that recently have been developed that do allow, I, I think more rapid development of an advancement of these types of vaccines. Uh, one of them is uh, is the fact that we've been able to do full genetic sequencing of organisms of the human genome uh, to be able to fully read out their genetic code. Uh, once we do that and we understand which parts of that lead to uh, generation of, say, for example, the spike protein, now we can start to design ways to combat that. And the two tools that I see is pretty important to doing that, uh, one is something called CRISPR and one is called CryoEM. Uh, now, CRISPR is that, that gene editing tool that's uh, recently been, you know, was a Nobel Prize winning technology that allows you to basically program an exact genetic sequence. So you can like take all the nucleobases and basically stitch them together in whatever order you want, uh, which is really cool because now once you've characterized the genome of an organism, that is, is causing, you know, viral infections or bacterial infections. Now you can figure out exactly the way to combat that and build your own vaccine, like from the genes, uh, which is really cool. And then that third technology I talked about is called cryo-EM. That's cryo is, stands for cryogenic or cold. And EM is electron microscopy. 
Now this is a tool we use not to build things, but to study things. And so what you do is you take a protein, which is like this massive, massive molecule, right? It's, it's hundreds of thousands of millions of amino acids all strung together. And then they interact with each other and they fold into a very particular shape. Usually a protein shape is very important in how it behaves in your own body or in a virus. And with cryo-EM, we can freeze those proteins down. We get them cold so they stop wiggling and moving. And then we fire electrons at them. And the way those electrons bounce off tells us exactly what that protein looks like. It's basically a way of taking a 3D image of a protein. And this is a way that we've been able to characterize, for example, what that spike protein looks like on the outside of the COVID virus. And um, so in doing that, we can see exactly how it hooks on or interacts with our cells and infects them. And so that's another really important tool that we now have in our toolbox for battling any future virus uh, that comes our way. So, yeah, I think based on these technologies and ones that we're still probably inventing, maybe Star Trek inspired, like the tricorder, that would be mm -hmm. awesome. I think we're going to wow. get better and better at uh, battling these these kinds of challenges in the medical field. Amazing. Even just like what you were describing sounds so futuristic, <laughs> Doesn't like it? bouncing electrons off of frozen proteins. Like what? It's amazing. I think the the other like big vaccine fallacy in this episode that's actually I think also in the next episode we're going to talk about is that vaccines are not cures. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. You know, if, if you're already sick and get a vaccine, it's not going to do anything for you. Vaccines are preventative measures that teach mm. your body how to fight the infection should you get it. Yeah, it's like training a boxer to enter a ring, right? You've got to do a lot of work in advance to build up your muscles, to build up your reactions so that you can, you know, be effective in fighting your opponent. But if you just go in there and you're like, okay, now, now I'll have my coach over here teaching me while I'm getting punched in the face, that's, that's not the best way to win a fight. Yeah. Mm. And we, we see vaccine used interchangeably with cure. I think I might have done it a little earlier <laughs> throughout mm. Star Trek, throughout television, throughout film. Right. And it's such it's a good not. point. Yeah. Yeah. And that also means that the vaccine that we all took is not going to last forever. That's why we have the booster shots now. In fact, I was just boosted this morning. So I'm uh, very Yay. happy about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so... Just like the flu shot that we get every year, maybe we might expect something like that for uh, this virus and future viruses, just to keep our immune systems up to snuff. And uh, if there are any new um, adaptations, such as the, this Omicron variant that we're looking at now, just to make sure that we are able to, to fight that off if it changes substantially. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, speaking of this next episode, uh, this is kind of a big one. I put this last in our list because, in my opinion, this is this Deep Space Nine episode really dives into vaccine and vaccine development and technology more than any other Star Trek episode or scenes that I know of. So this is Deep Space Nine, season four, episode 24, The Quickening. And also as a little bonus note, the illness in this episode, it first appears here in this episode, and then it's talked about again later in the series when Bashir makes a presentation on the virus and the illness that it causes at a conference. And Which that was awesome. in. That makes yeah, me happy I, that they're still doing conferences in, in the distant future. We do those <laughs> all the time when they do continuity. <laughs> Exactly. And you know, just like what's funny is I finally just finished Deep Space Nine like two weeks ago. Oh. 
And so I only knew this connection because of because I was finishing Deep Space Nine <laughs> when I was putting together this outline. You're like, oh, wait. So it was, yeah, like, because this did, this episode didn't show up on the Reddit list and also in Google searches. Like, I didn't find this episode. It literally was just because I was about to finish watching DS9 because uh, the conference episode is season seven, episode 16, and it's called Inter Arma Enim Silent Legis. I think I mispronounced some of those Latin words, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, so lots of fun little like continuity things here that Deep Space Nine did really well. And I love that they gave Bashir this. Yeah, they, they gave him that continuity of like he he was like on the ground in this on this planet discovered. Well, not discovered, but he he found out about this virus and the illness and he helped the people there. And then he gets to present later in the series. I thought that was dope. So diving into this specific episode, here's a little synopsis. Bashir and Jadzia Dax visit a planet in the Gamma Quadrant where the people are all suffering from a bioengineered illness introduced to the population by the evil Dominion. At about 17 minutes into the episode, they successfully isolate the virus and uh, Bashir says that they can now, quote, start analyzing its molecular structure, look for binding sites so we can tailor an antigen and then Bashir asks Dax to run a protein sequencer whatever that is Yay! Uh, <laughs> he also tries to chart the life cycle of the virus and says that would have been a lot easier with more tissue samples okay there's just so much science in this so let's just break it down <laughs> um, <laughs> so when he says start analyzing its molecular structure uh is that is that real? Yes. Everything I'm going to ask you is like, yes. is that real? No, this is great because I was just talking about this, right? Like, if you had a cryo EM, you could yes. do this, right? If you freeze oh, that yes. protein and you bounce mm -hmm. electrons off of it, that's the molecular structure. Oh. That's how it's shaped. And then wow. the binding sites, that's... So when proteins mm -hmm. fold, they usually fold around so that some amino acids can grab on to things like metals, metal ions. That's why uh, you have to take like iron and calcium and zinc and stuff like that. That's so uh, mm -hmm. proteins can, can wrap around those metals and use them to do cool chemistry that keeps you alive. Um, and then they also can bind or attach to other molecules. And so some, it, you can kind of think of it as like a key in a door in a lock. Sometimes proteins mm -hmm. will have a key shape. Sometimes they'll have that lock shape. And only other certain proteins that have the complementary shape will will attach, will bind. And so that's mm. totally true in science, in, in biochemistry. That happens all the time in your body. Cool. I so feel like I'm seeing a magic school bus animation in my oh, head. <laughs> I just need more dresses with, like, oh. cool things on them. But, yes. like, I, I remember, maybe I'm making it up, I remember, like an animation of like your immune system is going to make this shaped protein if it knows mm -hmm. how to fight this virus and it's going to stick to the virus instead of letting the virus stick to your cells. Yep. Mm. That's exactly right. And I can't recall exactly how the mRNA virus works um, in our bodies. I know it identifies the spike protein and I can't recall if it like binds to it to keep that from attaching to our cells or if it just like breaks it off or something, but it definitely, I, it, recognizes that shape that particular shape so yeah miss frizzle predicted the global pandemic i'm not surprised at all <laughs> you heard it here first folks <laughs> um so so i mean it sounds like 
if this episode had been written in 2021 or 2022, they could have literally said like Bashir is like, oh, run the cry. What did you call that? The cryo M? Cryo EM. Yes. EM, yeah. Like run the cryo EM so we can get its molecular structure and look for binding sites. Like Totally. And he would have been like, cool. yep, give me a few hours. Okay, maybe a few days. It might take a little while to get just the right sample. But yeah, he could do it. Yeah. Fantastic. So yeah, that, I love that. Cause like you said, you know, um, the, the way that Star Trek has inspired real life science, it's almost like we can go back at some of these episodes and say, do we have science that now covers this thing that was science fiction 25 years ago? And, you know, well, I don't know. Yeah. No, totally. I might be extrapolating too much from that, but, no, but yeah. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm an NPR geek and I love the show Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And there was an episode recently that had Ellen Stofan on it. And she's, she's like super amazing scientist. She used to be the head of NASA for a while and now she's at, I think, the Smithsonian Institute. But they interviewed her and she was talking about, what did she say? She said, that nothing in science has been invented that science fiction didn't dream up first. Wow. And wow. so I don't know yeah. the exact timing of who invented cryo-EM, but if they were a Trekkie, maybe that's mm-hmm. where they got the idea, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the the oh, EM is electromagnetic, okay. right? Uh, it's, it's, uh, here it's electron microscope. Oh, electron microscope. Yes, okay. but oh. you're right. They're ac- okay. I should always define my acronyms. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, EM can mean a few different things, like you said, but here it's cryogenic electron microscope electron microscope okay yeah interesting so because the next thing that happens in this episode is that they realize that the electromagnetic em (laughs) fields from their instruments are causing the virus to mutate oh Mm -hmm. that can totally happen too really yeah so the electromagnetic spectrum is actually all forms of light that includes like light we see with our eye it includes uh, IR, so if you have like, um, goggles that you can put on for like, um, night vision that sends heat, like that kind of thing, even radio waves. Technically, that's all part of the electromagnetic spectrum. And that mm-hmm. also includes UV light, ultraviolet. So if you've ever been out and gotten a sunburn or, you know, you realize how hazardous UV can be. And in fact, sometimes we use it to sterilize things because it can totally bust up cells and cause all sorts of nasty chemistry, things that we call free radicals that go around and just rip apart molecules. It's good times. Um, but they can also cause mutations. And, you know, mutations can be good or mutations can be bad. Um, and yeah, so that is, that could be a thing that happens. Wow. Uh- that's wild. Um, so, I mean, I'm guessing, though, that the way it happens in this episode is that all of he has like a bunch of patients that are now testing this this vaccine and they all start like just violently convulsing and getting super, super sick very, very quickly. So that maybe that is a bit like science fictiony like once like you said before sue like the rapidness of how symptoms kind right, of right set yeah. in <laughs> well it depends right like if you were to stick them in a microwave and start to boil the water in them i would be convulsing violently so like mm. there's ways mm. that you could but yeah mm. i think that would affect everyone else too not just the infected so yeah i think sue's definitely on to something there they right. probably had to take some creative license to squeeze these into hour-long episodes, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> the the other thing I think is really interesting, um, and I, it's the only time I can think of where this is a storyline. Again, my brain, my memory is not perfect. But 
part of the plot is that Bashir doesn't think this is working. And then a woman he's been mm. treating gives birth and the baby is born without the virus that supposedly oh. everyone is born with. Mm-hmm. And again, this made me think of, you know, stuff I was taught in the 80s and 90s about the HIV pandemic that if mm-hmm. uh, in women who were infected or excuse me, if people who were infected and pregnant were undergoing treatment, that it's possible that they would not pass the virus on to their children. And obviously there's not an HIV vaccine at this point, but there are treatments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. And you know, for all of the technological advancements we've made, there is still so much about the human body that we don't understand. So, you know, there is, if, if you're interested, if you're listening and you're interested in studying a field, you know, medicine, biochemistry, all of these things, virology definitely needs some smart, creative people to hopefully keep this global pandemic thing to, you know, every hundred years or, or maybe a lot, lot longer because I don't want to have mm. to deal with this again. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully this is the only pandemic we all will have to deal with in very, hopefully, long lives. Yeah, here, here. Yeah. Um, there's also a moment in this episode that I love and I wanted to just shout it out. I, I should have grabbed the name of the writers of this episode, but I didn't. But about 42 minutes in, after Bashir and Dax have, uh, you know, okay, they have the vaccination. They know now that it will prevent new babies from being born with this. They called it the blight. Um, he tells the villagers to vaccinate all the pregnant women. And he says, quote, the vaccine isn't difficult to make, but seeing that everybody gets it will be a huge task. <laughs> oh, we know that now. Oh, yes, we we very know, much know that <laughs> now. Um, and then the villager replies, quote, oh, not a task, a privilege. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> My heart just like. I know. I just that really touched me. And it was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like we are very lucky that we have the incredible scientific minds and all of this this mRNA technology that just right time, right place, they were able to make this vaccine to help us get this pandemic under control. So hopefully as the actual science and information continues to be shared, like in this podcast episode, hopefully more and more people will, will accept that and start to get on board so we can get this thing under control. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've got uh, a really good friend who's immunocompromised and I think about her all the time. Just, you know, the fact that she's more susceptible to getting the virus. Luckily, she was able to still get the vaccine, but there are lots of others out there who may not have that privilege. Right. Because mm-hmm. for one reason or another, they just can't. And so they'll always be at high risk. And so I consider it a responsibility to make sure I'm going to reduce the chances of me giving it, passing it on to any of these, these people that give them just as they have just as much of a right to be alive and healthy and happy as I do. So absolutely. Yeah. It really is like a public health issue and also a responsibility, a public health issue that we all as individuals can ha- help out and contribute to. By getting vaccinated, if we can. Yeah, everyone should. Drum roll. Make it so. <laughs> yes. See what I did there? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, I have another question about this. Uh, so booster shots. So in this episode, 
if they vaccinate all the villagers now, um, I'm guessing would they need booster shots later in life? Especially if like someone's a kid now gets vaccinated and then she grows up and wants to have a baby. Like, do you think they would do booster shots here? Well, I mean, theoretically, if they vaccinated every single person, as well as, you know, they don't always show the animals on these worlds, right? But mm. certainly, All right. If, mm. if they were able to vaccinate through, say, they were able to, you know, inject it into the atmosphere and make it something that everyone breathed in, we're assuming, you know, Star Trek-based technology, mm-hmm. then maybe it would be completely eradicated. But mm. it, at least mm-hmm. from science that we've studied here on Earth and previous vaccines, like polio, for example, is... It's almost eradicated, right? But not completely. It's still around uh, because not 100% of all the seven uh, some odd billion humans plus all, you know, any other potential vectors hasn't been completely eradicated. And so I think that it's a useful example. Polio is that tells us that COVID is probably in the vaccines and the booster shots may be with us for a while. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I'm, I just got a flash towards that board game Pandemic. <laughs> oh, I used to play that too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know hard. why. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> I know it's it, and that's exactly why it flashed in my mind because in that board game, it, it's really hard to, to clear the board. And actually, what's interesting now that I think back on that board game is that you don't win by eradicating all the diseases. They have a benchmark that's like, if you eradicate a certain number of them, that's when you win. But you could still have like some of the diseases still on the board. But so that, yeah, I guess that reflects the reality, right? Like I think it's, you could say that like polio, smallpox vaccinations have been a success. And even things like malaria, even though we know people still get malaria, but the, the, their close to eradication of that can be considered an, a success still. Yeah, I think so. I mean, viruses and, and things that infect us are always going to undergo mutations and do things unpredictably, right? That's kind of part mm-hmm. of how life works. But scientists are also going to continue to innovate and come up with new strategies and new ways to tackle this. And so I have, I have a lot of faith in our uh, scientific community to continue to innovate. Um, So hopefully we'll be able to tackle challenges like this uh, more quickly with less loss of life in the future. Cause that's, that's the whole goal, right? Is we just want to be able to, that life is more than just what eat, sleep, poop and reproduce. It's about, (laughs) it's about exploring, right? To going to these, these new places and being able to increase our knowledge and make us, more comfortable and happier so we can pursue these these really fun endeavors and watch Star Trek, of course. Absolutely. Well said. And, you know, we're about out of time, but I feel like we covered so much today. And thank you so much, Morgan, for joining us. Where can people find you if you'd like for them to find you? Gosh, well, let's see. On Twitter, I'm at Stars Are Calling. Um, and what else do I do? I mean, uh, there are a few... Outreach events that sometimes I'll participate in through uh, jpl.nasa.gov, as well as a couple of Comic-Cons and things like that. Um, but just stay curious, everybody, and realize that a lot of this stuff, uh, I'm not an expert in COVID, but I just took some time to do some reading and educated myself. And I've also learned a lot just from talking uh, to you two, Eliza and Sue. So thank you so much for the invitation. Your joy to talk to. And I'm totally going to binge listen to more of your podcast episodes after this. 
Oh, thank you so much, Morgan. And hey, if you're up for it, we'd love to have you back to talk about what actually is your specialty. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would completely love to. Yeah, you guys just let me know the time. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Thank Sweet. you. Yes. And Sue, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Spelltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. Wonderful. And once again, I'm Elisa Pearl. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Elisa Pearl. That's A-L-I-Z as in zebra, A, Pearl. And to learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at womenatwarp. You can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more Roddenberry podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Live long and prosper. Go get vaccinated. Boldly go. (laughs) The Roddenberry Podcast Network podcast.roddenberry.com